0: Morning. Hey, uh, we, got, we got a good sermon for you today, um, not, not because it's me preaching, but I think the content, what we're going to be talking about, I think it's going to be good, I think it's going to be helpful, I think it's going to put some things in perspective, and the reason I think that is because it's done that for me, so uh, I just kind of want you to go along with me, uh, the journey that I've been on with, uh, with what we're talking about today. Um, we're going to start off reading a scripture, and then uh, this scripture is going to seem a little out of context, and we're going we're to work our way back to it. So the scripture I want uh, to start off with is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and it's this. But thanks be to God, who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Um, And this this sermon is not going to have the typical structure either. So don't be like, all right, I think that's the third point. Maybe this is the conclusion. You're just going to be way off if you think that. So just kind of buckle in, sit back, enjoy the ride, because I think this is going to be really helpful. Uh, I was driving last week, and um, Liam was in the back seat, and just going along, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing strange. And from the back seat, I just out of the blue, I mean, we had been driving for a while, I hear this weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth from the back seat. And I, I'm like, what, what? I didn't get in an accident. I mean, we didn't have the windows down. No bees flew in the car. I mean, like, what in the world is going on? And so I, like, turn around and try to see what's happening. And Liam is just coming unglued. Now, Liam, for those that, you don't, that don't know, is a five-year-old child who looks exactly like me. If you want a picture Liam, picture me about three feet shorter, running around. That's Liam. And he's, he's just bawling. And I don't understand why. And what's going on in between these sobs? You know, I'm trying to, trying to heal the brokenhearted here. Between these sobs, he's saying, I can't find my whistle. I left my whistle at church. We, were, we had left church. I'm like, whistle? What whistle? Oh, yeah. He got a whistle a couple days ago, and he had been wearing around his neck 24-7. I guess just it was something he liked. I didn't understand what the enjoyment was, but something he liked. He had this whistle and I'm like, oh man, okay. Well, a couple of things are going through my head. Like a good dad would probably turn the car around go back to church, but I wasn't going to do that. It's too far out of the way. And I'm like, hey buddy, it'll be okay. There's other whistles in the world. Whistles exist. We can get you another whistle. I mean, it'll be okay. And I turn around and I glance back at him again. He's just bawling. None of that's working. None of that's helping. You know when kids just kind of come unglued. And so I turn around one more time and I see that there's this little blue cord And a whistle hanging on the cord. And it's kind of tucked under his armpit a little bit. And I'm like, oh, he's got the whistle. Like, this is the great, this is great. Because I don't have to turn around. I don't have to placate him anymore. I mean, nothing. He's got the whistle on him. This thing that he's bawling and crying about, he's actually, he actually is wearing. And then I think, all right, how do I break the news? How do I break the good news to him? Like, he's all upset, but there's good news. How do I, how do I break this to him? And I, so this is what I said. I was like, hey, buddy. You know, just, and this is true, this is really what I said, wouldn't it be cool if the thing you were actually crying about you had? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be nice? And you could like, that would be great. I'm like, what if, what if you actually are, I wanted to really calmly break the news. You don't want to make anybody feel stupid. What if you actually have the whistle? What if you're wearing the whistle? And he kind of looks at me a little confused, like, what, what's going on? I'm like, What if the whistle's around your neck? What if it's right there and he looks down and he sees it? But you know how kids have like that, those tears already? They're already built up and it's got to like play itself out for another few minutes. It can't just dry up like that. But the good news, like there's good news that's here. You actually have the thing that you're crying about. It's there. It's right there, buddy. It's going to be all right. Now, I know with kids, like everything is the apocalypse, right? It's just like immediate, like the end of the world, but it's nice, too, because, like, you can solve their problems pretty easily. This, j- just imagine with me. I mean, I am an optimist. Jordan accuses me of being an optimist all the time. Like, it's a negative thing. But I am an optimist. I love, like, the, the I, I think the world's great. However, just imagine with me for a second that we live in a, in a little bit of a dark world right? Imagine that things aren't so great here on earth. I mean, imagine we lived in a place where things were messed up, and there was this crazy amount of conflict, and a crazy amount of war, and it just seemed like out of nowhere people were trying to kill one another. Imagine we lived in a place like that where you would wake up, and the headlines were things like somebody drove a truck into a group of pedestrians. I mean, that would be an awful place to live, I wouldn't want to live in a world like that, where, where like, hate was responded to with hate, where, where like, in some parts of the world, people have to work hard not to starve to death, and in other parts of the world, people have to work hard not to be obese. Wouldn't that be a terrible place? Wouldn't it be nice if just everything, everybody had everything they needed? Wouldn't that, It would be great, but, but that's not the way the world is. And if you think too long about it, if you dwell too long about it, you can get a little bit pessimistic about the world, can't you? This week I woke up to this news about like this this toxic gas attack on on civilians and kids had died. And I woke up to that and I'm just like what is wrong with this place? What is wrong with this world that that would happen? And then, then our response as a country is, let's go bomb some more people. And I mean, we respond to violence with violence. It's just the way the world is. But, but you just, every once in a while, I know you're thinking I'm getting all political. I'm not. Just chill out. Just, just, it's just crazy to think about. We live in this place that is just so broken and messed up and awful. Some of you are like, are you okay, Patrick? You seem like you're having a little bit of a down day. I was kind of having a down week this week. I was kind of bummed about the state of the world. I was kind of like, I felt a little bit like Charlie Brown. He has that quote. He says, I've learned how to handle my anxiety. I only dread one day at a time. <laughs> I felt a little bit like that. But but imagine, but imagine then in, that, in the middle of like that darkness and that awfulness and that terribleness, like the way things are, imagine somebody came along and painted a little bit of a brighter picture. Imagine somebody came along and said, hey, uh, there's this place where hate doesn't have any power. Because every time hate rears its ugly head, it's extinguished with love. The people overwhelm that hate with love. Imagine a place like that. You can go to the next slide if you want. I got a list of these things that I, I was just dreaming about, thinking about. Imagine where there was a place where people who were desperate and vulnerable, and they were not taken advantage of, but they were taken care of. Like people came out to help people who were desperate and vulnerable and, and, and on, at risk of being exploited. Imagine a place where nobody could be scared into hating or hoarding or voting, but this fear that exists that pervades the world had been replaced with faith. Imagine a place like that. That would be an amazing place. Imagine a place where nobody was ignored, nobody was forgotten, nobody was cast aside, nobody was pushed aside, and and the last, the least, I mean, this language begins to sound familiar, doesn't it? The last and the least were actually celebrated, where people stopped for the last and the least, and they lifted them up. Imagine a place like that. Wouldn't that be an amazing place? Imagine a place where people used all that ambition and that drive to to make money and to gain power. And instead of doing those things, they used that ambition and drive to figure out how to serve others and how to lift other people up. That would be an amazing place, right? Now I know for a lot of you, you're starting like, okay, yeah, I, I think I get what you're talking about. You're talking about Jesus was talking about this kind of stuff, right? Jesus talked about a place like this. Where, where what we think is the greatest, we're the least. And what we think is the least, we're the actual, we're the greatest. I mean, that would be in a pretty incredible place. And some of you would be like, yes. If we heard Jesus talking about that, it would be like, sign me up. Get me on the bus. Punch my ticket. I'm out of here. That's where I want to go. I want to go to a place like that. You tell me that exists. I'm moving there. I'm going to become an immigrant. I'm going to live in that country. That's where I want to live. I want to live in a place where it's just not dark and doom and gloom. And people who have the power just take more power. And people who have the money just take more money. And it's all about themselves. Where people aren't just selfish 24-7. I want to live in that place. That sounds awesome. I think a lot of Christians feel like, you know what? That sounds great. Peace out, cruel world. I'm going to live in a place like that someday. And you, you guys are just going to have this ugly, awful world to yourselves. But I want to tell you that's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of Jesus. Before you, the world is terrible. The world is terrible. But before you bail on us, I want to tell you something about what Jesus was saying. If you were to ask the crowds to whom Jesus spoke, what was Jesus talking about all the time? What was was his message about? What was he talking about? You'd probably answer, some of you would think for a couple seconds, you'd be like, oh, Jesus talked about love. He talked about love a lot. That seems to be like the primary message of Jesus, maybe. Some of you would be like, no, Jesus' message was of truth and judgment. Well, yeah, he did talk about truth and judgment. He really got on to some people. We talked about that last week. If you're a Pharisee, man, watch out. Some of you would be like, well, grace. It was all about grace. He was just trying to show people love and grace. Like, some of you were like, no, he was trying to show people how to live. I mean, we would have these answers. But you know what? If you were to ask the crowds to whom Jesus spoke, they would answer none of those things. If you were to ask the apostles, what was Jesus' primary message? What was he really going around telling people about? He would, they wouldn't answer any of those things. You're like, well, wait a second. That's pretty much what the Gospels are about, right? That's what the New Testament was about. Some of you have uh, heard me preach a couple hundred times. Did you realize that? I have been here, this is true, I have been at the Woodbury Church of Christ for ten years. Ten years! For a lot of people, that's like ten years too long. You're like, (laughs) all right, Patrick, you have overstayed your welcome. Ten years! That's wild. That's wild. So a lot of you have heard me preach hundreds of times. And in some cases, if you're being honest, you've heard me tell some of the same stories a time or two from up here, right? You've heard that. You're like, wait a second, I think I've heard that before. Or I'll start to tell a story and you'll be like, oh yeah, this is the one where he tells the lady she's fat. So awkward. (laughs) So you've heard that a little bit before. I I want you to know that when Jesus went around preaching, he just preached the same message everywhere he went. Did you know that? He would go to this town, and he'd preach the message. And then he would go over to this town, and he'd preach the same message. And then he'd go to this group of people, and he'd preach the same message. Same sermon. It'd be like if I got up here every week and just talked about how terrible the Pharisees were. Every week. And you guys believe? all right, that's the church where he talks about how the Pharisees were. And you know, growing up, some of you know, you've run into preachers who kind of like get on a little bit of hoppy horse. And pretty much every sermon ends kind of the same way because they've got their thing. The internet is terrible. Credit cards or whatever, right? You know, you've heard preachers like that. I try not to do that, but Jesus did that. His sermons were always about the same thing, always, again and again and again and again. And every time he would go to a new place, he'd be like, let me preach to you about this. And the disciples would be like, yep, that's what he talks about. And every time he would tell, he'd probably tell the story, the same stories again and again. He told lots of parables. I bet you he went into different places and would be like, oh, you know what? Uh, Let me tell you about God. And he would tell the story and the disciples that were with him were like, yeah, we've heard this one before. I like this one. This one's a good one. He was telling the same thing over and over and over again. And almost all his stories and almost all his sermons started out like this. The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus preached again and again and again about the kingdom. And you're like, well, he did talk about love. Yes, he talked about how love was the highest value of the kingdom. Well, he talked about forgiveness. Yeah, he talked about how in, for, in, in the kingdom you find forgiveness and people forgive one another. But his sermon was the same over and over and over and over again. I put um, a number of scriptures on the screen if you want to just spend the rest of the sermon and write them down. This is where he talks about the kingdom over and over and over and over again. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. He came to preach about the kingdom. Every time the the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, every time they stopped to try to summarize what Jesus was saying, what they said was, well, from that time on, this is after Jesus' temptation in Matthew, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. That was his sermon over and over again. When he talked about priorities, he said, hey, everybody, seek first the kingdom. When he taught people how to pray, he said, hey, pray this way. Your come. Your will be done. It was, it was the kingdom over and over and over and over again. Just by way of example, I, I mean, you can go through and count. There are four passages in the book of Matthew where Jesus talked about love. Four passages. You know, love your enemies. Love God. That, those kinds of things. Four. In the book of Matthew there are 45 where he talked about the kingdom. What do you think Jesus was preaching about? The kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom. Galilee, the kingdom. Nazareth, the kingdom. Jerusalem, the kingdom. Everywhere he went, the kingdom. Everywhere he went. Now you're like, all right. Some of you are... All right, Patrick, we get it. But he was painting this incredible picture of what life was like in the kingdom. He was saying in the kingdom, nobody was forgotten. Nobody was excluded. Nobody was exploited in the kingdom. Jesus was constantly dropping clues about what life in the kingdom was like. And the crowds loved it. They wanted this kingdom to come. They wanted this kingdom here. They wanted a kingdom like that. That sounded awesome to them. Just like it does to us. It sounds incredible. And the crowds that he preached to had to be thinking, sign me up. Punch my ticket. Let's get on that bus. I want to go to a place where this is the kingdom. Because the world they lived in was rough. It was awful. We think our world is pretty bad. Their world was pretty bad. And nothing about it looked pretty. And nothing about it seemed hopeful. In fact, the word the kingdom that Jesus used over and over and over and over again in his sermons was actually the word that the common everyday parlance, every, everybody would use it, for the word empire. And what Jesus was doing is he was talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it was in contrast to this idea that they were all very familiar with about the empire of Rome and how Rome worked and the way Rome was. And in Rome, you exploited people. In Rome, if somebody wasn't valuable, you just cast them off to the side of the road, let them die. There weren't any nursing homes when people got older. You just threw them out the front door. In Rome, in Rome, power begot power begot power. And if you are weak and powerless, forget you. And so Jesus actually came and he preached this sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are the weak, for yours is the kingdom. Over and over and over again. And it was in con- contrast to this empire that was all around them. And so essentially what he was saying is he was like, hey guys, the empire of God is coming. The empire of God is at hand. And when people heard that, they would would hear the word empire and they would think like, well, so it's going to come replace this empire of Rome. This empire of the way things are right here and right now. It's going to come change this. So, we can't read about every passage about the kingdom. I would love to go back and read every single one of those. We can't do that. We're going we're gonna to narrow our scope to three of them this morning. And I want to I wanna show you something that Jesus was doing as he was preaching about the kingdom and as he was showing them how life in the kingdom worked. When you're on a road trip with, with kids, um, I don't know if... You, you just know you're going to make frequent stops, right? You just kind of plan that into your schedule. But even even at that, I still get in the car, and I still think, you know what? We can make good time. Google Maps is up, and it's saying I'm going to get there at 645 if I just drive 75 miles an hour. Maybe 76. Maybe I can cut this time down. But when you got kids, like you, you work in those stops. You work in the gas station stop, the bathroom stop, the food stop. You're like, let's do the trifecta, all three in one. All, we're going to get gas. You're going to go to the bathroom. We're going to get food. Boom, it's done. Efficiency. And then, inevitably, you get back in the car, and you get about... 200 yards down the road, and one of your kids is like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And you're like, We were just there. Did you? I told you to go to the bathroom. They're like, I did go to the bathroom. I did number one. Now I gotta go number two. It's like, Can you not put it all together and figure all that out all at once? What am I gonna do? And so, on the way, on the way somewhere, there's these stops that kind of can get frustrating. But I want to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus being on the way somewhere, on the way to declare his kingdom, and he kept getting stopped. And every time he stopped, he would show people what the kingdom was really like on each of these stops. Now, he did it hundreds of times, but on the way to Jerusalem, he was going to declare himself king, which we'll talk about just in just a second, but he kept getting stopped. And I want you to look at a few of those stops with me on the way. This message of the kingdom, these incredibly important truths, they're worth checking out. So, uh, stop number one. What we're going to do, I'm, I, I, I made a little something to help us visualize what's going on here. Yeah, believe it or not, I made these myself. I know, right? <laughs> like this craftsmanship, I, it's pretty amazing. Don't look too closely. But I, wanna, I want to uh, I wanna, I wanna show you something, because Jesus was declaring himself king, but every time he did, every time he stopped and interacted with people, he was like kind of putting a stake in the ground for how the kingdom worked, how the kingdom looked. And, and if we function in the kingdom, this is what the kingdom was going to be like. And so there's a bunch of these. There's thousands of these. We can't talk about all of them. We're going to just talk about a few. A few. So in Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 23, we're going to talk about the first one, on his way to Jerusalem. It says earlier in this chapter that Jesus started on his way, started on his way. And he had this guy come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, and he's just started his trip. He hasn't even gotten like 10 feet. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, uh, can you tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was like, come on, everybody knows that answer. You got to obey the commandments. You got to honor your father and mother. And this guy was like, yeah, I've done all those things. And this guy, I think, was asking this because he wanted Jesus to be impressed with all the things he had done. And he said, I've done all those things since I was a kid. I'm good. I think he wanted a gold star. Thank you, Jesus. I appreciate the affirmation, and I'm going to go on my way now. But Jesus stopped. The Bible actually says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And it says, Jesus said this. Oh, well, there is one other thing you could do. There's one other thing you could do. You could sell everything you have, and you could give it to the poor. That's one thing you could do. And this guy was like, that blew his mind in a bad way. And he's like, "Uh, no, I I thought I could have what I wanted and what God wanted all at once. And Jesus said, no, you could sell all you you have and you could give it to the poor. And and that's how you could find eternal life. And the guy went away sad, the Bible says. And then it says this verse, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you hear a verse like that, and you're like, oh, great. Are we not supposed to have money? Are we not supposed to enjoy things? Are we not supposed to put gas in our car? What are we supposed to do? What he's saying is in the value of system of the empire of Rome, wealth was good. Wealth was what you wanted. Well, you did everything you could to gain that wealth. But in the empire of God, wealth was a tool to be used to help others. It was, it, was a, it was a means to, to spread love to other people. In the kingdom of Rome, it was, you hoarded. You just took everything you could for yourself. In the kingdom of God, you spread it around. You didn't invest it in stocks and bonds. You invested it in people. And I know that's a hard message for us to hear sometimes because immediately our, our defenses get up and like, are you saying if I have a savings account that I'm sinning? I'm just saying let the Holy Spirit talk to you and decide what you need to do. I'm not trying to tell you what you need to do, but I'm telling you in the kingdom of God, things are different with the way that we handle money and the way that we think of money and the way that we try to gain money. That's stop number one. Stop number two. Stop number two. He's walking along the road. He doesn't even have to stop to deal with this one. And some uh, some of his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And, of course, James and John had said, Hey, Jesus, uh, do you think when you establish this kingdom, we want to be, you know, be in senior cabinet positions? That would be great. You know, we want to be real high up there. We want to have your ear. We want to talk about what's, what's really important to us, and we want to make sure this kingdom reflects that. And Jesus says, Well, uh, I don't think you know what you're asking for, but uh, we'll see. I'll give you important uh, jobs in my kingdom, but I need to tell you something more important than that. Uh, in, in, in verse, um, you can jump ahead of a few. Mark 23, he said, he, Jesus says about the thing about the, how hard it is for the king, people to enter the kingdom, rich people into the kingdom twice. But in Mark ten twenty, Mark, excuse me, Mark ten forty two, 42, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are rega- regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, those who work in the empire of Rome, those who work in the empire of the world, those that work the empire of capitalism, those that work in the empire of the way that we see things, those people, they look at power and they lord it over other people. It powers something to be gained so that you can tell other people what to do. High officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43 and 44. Not so with you. Instead, instead of the empire of Rome, if you want to be great, you got to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And you've heard these verses before, but you got to understand. It this is the way it is in our kingdoms today too. In our kingdoms of business, in our king, we want power. We want to be the guy calling the shots. We want to be the person in charge. We want that. And Jesus says if you have that, you use that for other people. In the kingdom of God, it's a race to serve one another. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Number 3. Number th- third stop. And this is like his most vivid I think. It's, this is amazing. Jesus is entering the suburbs of Jerusalem. And he's, by now, this crowd has gathered. Because he's been preaching this message of the kingdom. And he's been dropping hints that maybe he's the king. Dropping hints. Nothing explicit, just hints. Like maybe maybe this is the king. Maybe this is going to be the guy that comes in. And he's going to take a sword. And he's going to get on a chariot. And he is going to drive out the empire of Rome from Jerusalem. And he was going to, just not how they thought. He said, th- so this... Huge crowd gathered. This huge procession. And they're walking from the east into Jerusalem. And they're walking up to Jerusalem. And as they're going by, there's this guy on the side of the road. Huge crowd. There's this guy on the side of the road that hears, because he can't see, he hears that Jesus is coming by. People are talking about it. People are shouting. People are who knows what. So it says they came to Jericho. This is east of Jerusalem. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus Bartimaeus, you can pronounce it however you want. I think the song when we sing that on Jericho Road, do you guys ever sing that song? Nope. Okay, great. Um, Anyway, this blind man, Bartimaeus Bartimaeus, he's sitting by the side of the road begging. And he starts shouting like, hey, over here, Jesus, pay attention to me. Do something for me. Help me. And the crowd, verse 48, the crowd, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Because in the empire of Rome, in the empire of the world, in the empire of the way things normally are, these people like this, they did not matter. They did not deserve your attention. They did not deserve your engagement. You could just walk right by them. You didn't have to pay attention to them. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And he shouted all the more. Causing a scene, man, calm down. Son of David, have mercy on me. This huge crowd, think about this this huge crowd is walking in Jerusalem. They're all excited, they're pumped up. A revolution is happening, and Jesus stops the whole thing for one dude on the side of the road that's blind. Because in the kingdom of God, the least are celebrated and they're lifted up. This is how the kingdom of God works. This giant procession, this parade, this crowd of people is not more important than that blind guy. And Jesus says, call him. And he brings him up. And listen to this. This is how, how celebrated they are. This is so amazing to me. Pro- the, the crowd comes to a halt in the kingdom of Rome. You could ignore this guy, kingdom of God. This, this disabled guy is worth stopping the parade. And this nobody, this nobody that would have been forgotten even by the people around him is forever canonized in scripture. We know this guy's name forever because Jesus is trying to prove a point that the least are the greatest. The blind person on the side of the road, I'm going to put his name in the Bible and we're going to be talking about this guy 2,000 years from now. He was least, but in the kingdom of God, he's great because we celebrate the least. We celebrate the forgotten. We celebrate the overlooked in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is showing us something so powerful and so significant about the way the kingdom of God works. This is so important. His sermon was, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. And then finally, as he inches toward Jerusalem, he's telling this crowd, guess what? This kingdom is here, and it's so different than everything else. In fact, in this kingdom, people who have wealth and power, that's not, that's not who runs this kingdom in this kingdom, it's people who serve one another, who, people who care about one another, people who lift one another up. In this kingdom, it's the people ditched on the side of the road that are exalted and that are raised up. That's what this kingdom is like. This kingdom is amazing. This kingdom is incredible. You've heard of uh, some of the great Roman emperors, uh, Julius, Tiberius, Augustus, Nero. They, uh, the, the, the Romans, and I, I looked this up. You can Feel free to look it up right now if you're getting bored with what I'm talking about. Although, if you're getting bored, man, you're missing what I'm talking about. Um, but feel free to look it up. It's fine. Um, they had these parades, and they actually literally called them triumphs. Triumphs. And it was like, you know, when... Uh, the Cubs win the World Series and they have this huge parade you know in downtown Chicago or when Cleveland wins the national championship and they have this huge parade and people come for miles around and everybody's cheering on and you got the players sitting in the cars and they're you know they're waving at everybody and everybody every, I mean everybody's exalting the players these are the greatest in the world these are the most wonderful human beings in the world I mean they this is true even today there are sometimes songs written about these things the Pittsburgh Steelers won a championship a few years ago and a rap artist named Wiz Khalifa. This is the only time you're ever going to hear a rap and Wiz Khalifa in a sermon. Wrote a song about them. Wrote a song about these guys. I mean, and in the Roman triumph, same thing. These guys would roll into town... And they would everything would be decked out, everything would be decorated, people would be wearing their best. I mean, everything would be perfect. In fact, um, uh, a, a Roman empire by the name of Pompey was like, I'm gonna do it better than anybody else. And so, what he decided to do, he wasn't gonna come into town on a horse or a chariot, he was gonna come into town on an elephant. Like, that's the big thing. And he got to the, the gate of town, and the elephant couldn't fit through, so he had to get off it and walk anyway. You know, like Nero, like, he, he was so excited about himself that he sprayed the streets of Rome with saffron, so just everywhere just smelled good for everybody as they're walking through town. Like, everybody would associate this awe and this power and this might with Nero. And essentially what these guys were saying is they were saying, Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm awesome. That's what these triumphs were about. That's what was going on. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Or excuse me, Mark, yeah, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I have 12, oh, 12, starting in verse 1. Go to the next slide, please. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany, these are suburbs of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, that was a significant place, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, hey, guys, we're going to have our own little triumph here. We're going to have our own little parade, but it's going to be different. It's going to be a little different. Go to this village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you're going to find a colt, which is a baby donkey, we know, not a, not a little baby horse. You're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And that was a fulfillment of some prophecy in the Old Testament. He says, if anyone asks you, uh, why are you taking my donkey? Say, the Lord has need of it, and it'll be okay. Just try that, you know. Go into a store and take something you want. The Lord has need of it. I will be taking these candy bars. Just, just try it. Evidently, Jesus had this all set up. So they, they went, the people said, why are you taking our donkey? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over, it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the ground, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those went ahead and they, they followed, and those that followed shouted this. They shouted, Hosanna. They shouted as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. Jesus is declaring himself something here. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest. What Jesus was saying as he strolled into town on a donkey, like complete antithesis of Rome's triumph, Jesus was saying, guess what, everybody? The king is here. The king is here. And if the king's here, guess what else is here? The kingdom is here. The king's here. The kingdom's here. This place I've been telling you about where the last and least are celebrated, where, where everyone's racing to serve one another, where there's forgiveness and grace and love, that all flows freely. That kingdom is here. Ooh, man, this is big stuff. This is huge. In fact, this is what got Jesus killed. That he was claiming, people thought he was trying to lead an actual, physical, fight him off rebellion. And ended up getting him killed. And we'll, we'll, There's some more to go... Um, in this story. But he was saying the king is here. The king had just strolled into town. Now here's the thing. Here's a question that you may have. Alright this sounds good. I'm, I'm excited. Like I would have loved to have witnessed that. Everybody singing Jesus praises. Everybody shouting at Jesus. That would have been awesome. Like, like the king is here. I would have loved to have been part of that. But if the kingdom where people love. Where, where people are, are honored. Where the least are, are, are made great. Why is the world such a garbage dump? Because the world is a garbage dump. Did you know that? The world around us, you read the news, terrible things happen all the time. Why is the world like this if this king is supposed to be here? Why is the world such a horrible place? Why do people do terrible things? Why do I have to feel like I can't read the news? Because I couldn't look at those pictures of those kids. I couldn't do it. Why is the world such a terrible place? If the king is here, this is supposed to be a better place now. What's, What's going on? This is the best part. First of all, I mean, you have to know there is this now kind of not yet aspect to the kingdom. But listen, I want you to know something. The kingdom is here and it's breaking out all over the place. And you are forced to read the headlines that talk about toxic gas and talk about missiles and talk about crime and talk about murder and talk about protests, talk about riots. You're forced to read that news. But nobody ever shows you the news of the kingdom breaking out in the world. Nobody ever you that, tells you that Thomas, who came up here and did our communion talk, that he volunteers every week to help a kid, to tutor a kid. Nobody ever tells you that news. You don't open up the newspaper and say, Hey, Christian helping another Christian. You don't see that. Nobody tells you the news about the, the families that are, that are looking for kids who are needy and are homeless and don't have parents and says, I will provide that for you. Nobody tells you about that news. But that happens. That happens right here. Nobody tells you about those things going on. We have people right in our midst that are doing these things. We have people right here who are taking care of elderly neighbors and are taking care of friends and family who need help, who can't do it themselves, who are taking care of the least and and lifting them up. We have people, the kingdom's breaking out all over the place. We just don't always see it. But... It gets gets better. And this is where I get really exciting. You know that lament? You know why the world is so bad? Liam crying in the back seat because he lost his whistle? God is saying, guess what? You have, you possess that thing that you are crying about. The ability to make the world a better place. The ability to bring the kingdom here. You possess that. You have that hanging around your neck and you're crying. And I've given you the ability to bring the kingdom to where you are. Now, this is, this is pretty powerful stuff. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says. But thanks be to God. This is Paul. Paul knew all this stuff about the kingdom. Read the last verse of the book of Acts, the very last verse, if you want to learn more about the kingdom. But thanks be to God, who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession, procession and uses us to spread the knowledge of Him everywhere. Wow, that... That's a powerful verse, church. You are part of this parade that is spreading the kingdom. And you know what you're busy doing? Getting into arguments on Facebook. You know what you're busy doing? Worried about your 401k. You know what you're busy doing? Crying the world's such a terrible place and god has called you to be in his parade that spreads the gospel everywhere god has called you to that and we waste our time with so much garbage you know what god wants you to do that thing that he's been like laying on your mind laying on your heart and you just pushed off maybe i should help that person maybe i should do that thing maybe i should adopt maybe i should foster maybe i should give maybe you should Maybe it should stop being a conversation that you have and you keep pushing off and you keep saying later, some other time, when things are better, when things are more settled. Maybe you should start introducing the kingdom to where you are right now. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Anywhere the followers of the king are living out the values of the kingdom, that's where you'll find it. That's where you'll find the kingdom. Anywhere you see these kinds of things, hate, being overwhelmed by love, the vulnerable being, being cared for, fear being replaced with faith, the last and the least being celebrated, ambition being used to serve others. Anywhere you see that, there is the kingdom. In your corner of the world, in your cubicle at work, in your home, with your neighbors, with your social group, with your softball team, with your kids' friends and their parents, anywhere those things are happening, there is the kingdom. There is the kingdom. Some of you are thinking, "Why, well, I can't do much. Maybe I can do a little. I can't do anything. I can't do anything about kids in Syria being killed with gas. I can't do anything about that. Did you forget that you have the king on your side? That the king is on your side, that you exist in the kingdom you can't do anything oh I could never adopt a kid I could never foster I could never do that did you forget that you are called by God to spread the aroma of his kingdom everywhere did you forget that God gives you the ability to do things that you didn't think you could do to spread the kingdom I can't do anything about homelessness did you forget you got the king on your side the king has come the kingdom is here And this is what it's all about. And I think that we can cry about the state of the world, or I think that we can live out the kingdom in our little corner of it. Maybe we're not going to make headlines. Maybe nobody's going to notice. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe nothing significant is going to happen in our minds, but we are living out. We are spreading the aroma of the kingdom to the world. This is energizing to me. I know some of you may be feeling like, I don't know. All right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat a hamburger for lunch, take a nap, and forget all about this. But I, I want to challenge you. This is what it is all about. You living out the kingdom in the world is what it's all about. You have no greater call than to live out the kingdom in the world among your children and among your coworkers and among your in laws and among your grandparents. You have no greater call than that. And anything else is a distraction from what God is asking you to do. That's pretty big stuff. And I think that it's time that we as Christians, man, some of you have. Some of you are already there. Some of you are leading the procession. You're showing us the way. But I think it's time for the rest of us to step up. To step up and live out the kingdom where we are. To stop feeling sorry for ourselves. To stop feeling sorry for the world that we live in. To stop feeling like our car is too small, our house is too small, our paycheck is too small. That's the kingdom of the world, wanting bigger and better of those things. But to live out, to spread the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. Let's bring the kingdom here. Thank you guys for your attention.